Well, how many can you count? Here's what I mean by that. When Jesus saw the crowd of people in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, he saw a large crowd. And when he looked down a large crowd with many, many people, he, he had compassion on them. He knew their stories. Our call to worship has a counting number as well, too. Did you catch that in Revelation 19, 6 through 9? A great multitude. This is what Aaron read in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. He read this, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. How many? We don't know. Like the roar of a rushing waters and the loud peals of thunder, shouting. When Jesus saw the crowds, large crowds, he had compassion. He knew their story. He was moved and broke over their story. But when the large crowds see Jesus in Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9, they say this, Alleluia! Our Lord God Almighty reigns. One looks and sees with compassion and knows the stories. The other see Jesus and say, glory, glory, glory. God Almighty reigns. This is the future. This is the future that we have to look forward to. It's the future of Zion. It is a glorious future. And welcome, welcome to Isaiah 62, a panoramic view of the world where there is neither Jew nor Greek, every tribe, every nation, neither Jew nor Greek, maybe neither nor Palestinian. Could they even share that in this new world? Wow. Welcome to Isaiah 62. It's on page 641. I want to invite you to turn to it. And this title, this message is entitled, A Bold, Bold New World. And if you're joining us this morning and we're walking through this series called The Gospel of Isaiah, I'll give you a quick overview. In fact, if you turn over your bulletin, there's an Isaiah overview. This is from a group in the UK that has been really helpful and yes, we did receive uh, permission to print this off. We did it legally, so it's all good. You don't have to worry about that. And you'll kind of see where we fit in the overall structure of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 60, 62 falls under God's renewal. Others have called it waiting for a new world. It's, it's something that we have to look forward to, friends. So let me start at, at the end, actually, at verse 12. Uh, one commentator said the best way to get your head around this is by starting at verse 12, the summary which explains all of chapter 62. And it says this on verse 12, on page 642, it says this, they will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be sought after the city no longer deserted or other translations say abandoned. The CEV says, your city will be known as a good place to live and a city full of people. Never forsaken, never abandoned, never left alone. Think of the opposite, think of the opposite of ghost towns or mining towns or oil towns that were once bustling and they're now, have you seen pictures like that before? You know what I'm talking about, right? That is not the picture 
that's here. God will never, ever forsake his people. How do you know that to be true? Because I'm banking on the words of the one who rose from the dead. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God forsook Jesus on our behalf. I had the opportunity to ask the national speaker, Josh McDowell, what is the greatest need amongst teenagers today? This is nearly 20 years ago now. And he spoke about millennials, and he said, the greatest challenge is not busyness. He said, it's abandonment. Being left all alone. That shocked me. I didn't know he was going to say that. So we start at the end, and we realize this, that God will never forsake us. That sets the framework. Here's the second thing that you need to know for the context of this chapter that we're about to read here in just a few minutes. It is framed like bookends in the front and on the back by vengeance. It's not a real fun word. It doesn't feel like a big hug. It's vengeance. In chapter 61, verse 2b, and 63, verse 4, vengeance because of the holiness of God, someone has to pay the price for rebellion. Someone has to pay the price for rebellion. Who's going to pay the price for the wrong things that we've done? We see this played out in the life of, of King David. After he has adultery with Bathsheba, he murders Uriah, he, he covers it up, he breaks the oath as a king and as a leader, Nathan the prophet confronts him, David repents, and Nathan says, your sins are forgiven. That's it? <laughs> That's it? I mean, what's going on? Someone had to pay the price for that violation. Who did that? That was Jesus. If I'm okay, and you're okay, just the way you are, why is he on the cross? When we had, oh, I just, uh, night to remember, uh, a night to shine. I just gapped on that for a second. I apologize. That night to shine. Many of you were here. And we had, this whole wall was covered. It looked like a castle because we were crowning the people, right? And uh, the, the, the sanctuary was packed. How many of you are here that night? Okay, after, after everybody left, uh, a lady came up to me, and she came right over here to Julie and I. And uh, she came up and she said, uh, are you one of the pastors here? Are you a pastor here? I said, yeah, I'm one of the pastors here. And she said, I, j I just have a question for you. Does God hate gays? I got like five seconds to answer this question. I said, w w where'd you hear that? She said, well, I hear it on the internet all over the place. I said, well, you probably can't listen to everything on the internet. They think Elvis is alive too, just saying. She said, what do, you, what do you teach? What do you believe? And I said, look at this wall. How, how, how fun that is. Look at, look at it. Isn't it? It's like a castle, isn't it? She said, yeah. I said, do you see the one thing that we didn't cover up? That. That's the cross. Christ did not come 
to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. That's what we hold on to. That's what we hold on to. He changes people's lives. So this is a bold world. This section is entitled, Waiting for a New World. And watch how God will pull this off. He talks about Zion. Zion was the highest physical location in ancient Jerusalem. But it's also the heavenly city. And it's the place where inhabitants like you and I are invited to be a part of when we are born again. So where are we going to go with this? Here's the preview where we're going to go. He's delighted to have you in his city. He uses unbelievable words of endearment. He uses this powerful, this powerful imagery of marriage, intimacy. And then he uses strong words, how he's delighted for you as well too. Strong, powerful words like guardians and centuries, centurions, strong. And the other place that we're going to go to is how he's delighted over you. Is he said, things have changed now. There's a new covenant. And there's a new sign over you. A banner. Did you know that? And he makes a promise. He makes a promise. So reading in Jesus' name, Isaiah chapter 62. Do you have a copy of the scriptures there near you? For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. Tell her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all the kings your glory and you will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will you be called deserted. Or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah, and your land Balua. For the Lord will take delight in you. The Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so the Lord your God will rejoice over you. I posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They'll never be silent, day or night. Give yourself no rest, and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Here's his, here are the redeemed. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies. And never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled, but those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Pass through. Pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stones. Raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made a proclamation to the ends of the earth. Here's the proclamation. Say to the daughter of Zion, 
See your Savior comes. See his reward is with him. And his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people. The redeemed of the Lord. And you'll be called sought after. The city no longer deserted. This is God's word. It's true. It speaks today. Convicts us. Comforts us. Encourages us. Equips us. Administers to us. And the first thing we need to know is this. The delight of Zion are those who are wedded to the king. It's a beautiful, heartfelt prayer that, that, we, just, that we just read. Not because of who the people were. Not because of who the people were. But because God had chosen them. Israel. The, the word Israel literally means heal. It means heal. And God chooses a heal. Now, there are certain things that may attract you to someone. Maybe it's their eyes. Maybe it's their voice. Maybe they have a pretty face. Maybe it's their countenance. But nobody ever says, I fell in love with my bride because of her heel. One devotional writer said, God was not looking for the voluptuous trophy wife as his beloved. He chose them. And then they were to be transformed. Transformed that they might shine, glow. Have you ever seen a bride glow? Yeah, on her wedding day. She glows. And if you're a dad of a bride, you say, she better glow because I paid that price for the for the dress. Can I get an amen? Yeah. The bride is given a new name. A brand new name. Uh, Scottish Baptist minister Alexander McLaren wrote these words about the new name. That's written in verse 2. I can't say it in a Scottish accent, so just imagine. He says this, what is that new name? It is the expression for the sum of the new revelation of what he is, which will flood the souls of the redeemed when they pass the earth. That new name will not obliterate the old one. God forbid. It will not do away with ancient earth-begun relations of dependence and faith and obedience because Jesus Christ is the same forever. And his name in the heavens as upon the earth is Jesus, the Savior. But there are abysses in him which no one moving amidst the imperfections of this infantile life of earth can understand. Not until we possess can we know the depths of wisdom and knowledge and all the blessed treasures which are stored in him. Here we touch, but the fringe of his great glory, yonder, we shall penetrate its central flame. A new name. Verse 4 tells us that those who are wedded to him, there's kind of a reverse situation that's happened. The Apostle Peter puts it this way. Once you were a people, once you were not a people, and now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. 
Once you were spiritual adulterers, but God has pursued you. He's come after you. Verse 5, did you catch that? God himself will marry himself to you. He calls you beloved. Now think about all of the things that our beloved, our lover, our God the Father who's wedded himself has done for us. Just think of them. If we were just sitting together and having coffee, I would say, what has God wedded you with or what does he rejoice over you? Here's just a few. He forgives you. He protects and heals. He provides and restores these people, their homes and their city. He reconciles one to another. He transforms them, gives them his spirit so that that they are righteous and look like him. He honors them. He calls you a daughter. He calls you a son. He exalts them above all the nations. We may not see that now, but we're banking on that, his promise. And they are a blessing to all nations. I love this quote by another Baptist preacher, Ed, Edgar Young Mullins. Listen to this word. Behind the universe of truth, there is a person. I love that quote. Behind the universe of truth, general revelation and special revelation, there is a person. The Christian faith is unique and it stands out from all other world religions. God is not a force. He is a person. And we say that all the time when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. Our Father. Like no other dad, but yet relatable. Right? He is holy. The delight of Zion. We are wedded to him. And then these strong words... These strong words, watchmen. Watchmen is, is this, this idea of, of like sentries on a city wall, of prophetic guardians, strong language, the opposite of a sleepy guard or a mall cop. Strength. Uh, the idea of, of protection or, or, or guardian, you, you, you see this throughout Scripture. We, we first are seeing the sentries is another word. We first see that in a horrible, tragic way in Genesis 3.24 when Adam and Eve rebel against our father and they are cast out of Eden and we see angelic sentries who use a flame of swirling, whirling sword to guard the way back to the tree of life. We see it in the book of Judges when Gideon and the hundred men went out to the outpost in the middle of the watch after the centurions, sentries, excuse me, sentries, I get that word mixed up, I apologize, had been stationed. They blew the trumpets. The, the idea, the Apostle Paul picks it up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he uses strong language for the warfare that we're a part of. 
the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of salvation. And there's this understanding for the follower of Jesus that we are involved, not in a pretend world, but a life and death world against principalities and things that we can't see. He talks about putting on a helmet of the hope of salvation. The idea is we are to be vigilant. Vigilant. He delights in you in this bold new world. Write these three words down if you have a pen. I found this really helpful. It comes from Soren Kierkegaard. I don't read a lot of him. This came from a devotional I came across a couple weeks ago. I thought this is really good. Write these three words down. Infinite, qualitative, distinction. Infinite, qualitative, distinction. It means this. Listen. God and women and men stand on the same ground. It is a level ground because of the cross. It is a two-way street in the truest sense of the word. He wants that for you. For you to acknowledge his unquantifiable and extrapolated glory. Falling on your face is a good place to start. But then he really and ultimately wants to talk to you. He wants to know what you think just as much as he wants to know how you feel. It's heart to heart. Stop and think. Stop and think about what our friend, Pastor Kurt, talked about with Grief Share. Friends who we're connected with, who their hearts are breaking over this holiday. That the God of the universe, this infinite qualitative distinction, the one who is like no other, yet wants to talk to you. Hear how you feel. Know your brokenness. Wow. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 28 through 21, he, 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 he plays this out for us. The appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Ezekiel writes, when I, Ezekiel, saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking and he said to me, son of man, stand up and I will speak to you. And I spoke and the spirit raised me to my feet and I heard him speaking to me. This is the one who's wedded to us, friends. Infinite, qualitative, distinctive. Chapter 62 is the proof of God's faithfulness. He did not let his people become extinct in Babylon or in Egypt or any place. He has not forgotten. He has not abandoned them. Though they were adulterous and vile as a nation. Earlier in the Gospel of Isaiah, in Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, what's the rest of that verse, do you know? It should be as white as snow. I know I said the word snow. I don't want it either. Though they be red and crimson, they'll be as wool. This bold new world in Isaiah 62, if you missed it, here it is. It's a panoramic view of the new Jerusalem, Zion. The gates are open. The king of the universe desires to have relationship with you. 
There's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. Abraham's offspring, adulterous as though they were, rebellious as though they were, God, God would show his faithfulness. So in this world, world, there is a way of salvation. It's the redeemed. It's the redeemed because of what he did. His great oath is this. His great oath in 8 and 9 is that we are under a new covenant. We're under a new covenant because of Christ. The old covenant, not just the Old Testament, the old covenant was this. Here's the laws, do it, and I'll bless you. It's kind of an easy formula, right? Here's the list, do the list, I will bless you. Old covenant. How'd they do? How do you do? The stuff that you know you're supposed to do and you, you don't do it. How do you do? Some of you are saying, I'm not giving you an answer. The new covenant is this. Christ lived on our behalf. And God makes the new covenant old thing himself. Hebrews 6.13 says this, No one is greater than God, so he made a promise on his own name when he said to Abraham, I, the Lord, will bless you with many descendants. And it looks like this, when God takes an oath and he says, So help me, me. So help me, me. Because there's no one greater than him. There's no one greater than him. Uh, The the, the history of, of the children of Israel, the history of us, we're, we're just like them, aren't we? If you want to get a snapshot of what the history of Israel was like, turn on your Bibles to page 419 to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9. And it's really interesting. Just one, like one chapter is a total 30,000 foot flyover. It's kind of one of those deals where you go, uh, buckle up, we're going to go really fast. It's that kind of a chapter. It talks about creation. Then it talks about how God gave his covenant to Abraham. And God gave his law to Moses, how the people doubted and they wandered in the wilderness. And because of the wandering in the wilderness, it led to rebellion. And this word just kind of, boom, pops up throughout the chapter, I will not abandon you. You see it in verse 17, Nehemiah 17. You see it in verse 19. You see it in verse 28. You see it in verse 31. I will not abandon, forsake you. There will be one that I will forsake (laughs) on your behalf, on my behalf. You hear it every Sunday when we have communion. Eli, Eli, Eloi, Eloi, Laba Samachthani, which was Aramaic for my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken me. It's a bold new world that God delights in us. My people will live in the houses they build. Isaiah 65 says they will enjoy grapes from their own vineyard. No one will take away their homes or vineyards. My chosen people will live to be as old as trees. Wow. And they will enjoy what they've learned. In this bold new world, who he delights in, 
His banner over us will be a victor. A victor. On your own, just make a note of this. Uh, Look up Exodus chapter 17. It's a story where the children of Israel, Moses and Aaron, and another guy, I think his name was Frank. I can't remember the other guy. Made that up, I'm sorry. Uh, They held up his arms. They held up Moses' arms. And as long as Moses' arms were held up, the children of Israel won against the Amalekites. And here we hear this wonderful, wonderful description of God. It's called Jehovah Nisi. His banner over us is love. And in verse 10, you get kind of a, a, a precursor, kind of an open peak, an open peak of the triumphal entry of Jesus. It sounds like Palm Sunday. And have you ever wondered why Jesus came in on a donkey? (laughs) Why did he come in like that? Kings, rulers would come on a horse to show their might, to show their power. Jesus received the acclamation. Jesus received the acknowledgement from the crowd. All this is prophetic literature, gang. It's pointing to Jesus. So on his triumphant entry, he comes riding on a donkey, humble. He didn't come with strength. The Jewish people at the time, they were were very upset. What are we going to do with the Romans? (laughs) Can you overthrow them? His kingdom was what? To change the hearts and lives of people. He came in peace. This is the final vision of of Isaiah, he not only saw the Lord high and lifted up, he not only saw the suffering servant, he saw the invitation and this promise of all people saying, welcome, welcome home. Wow. I love the word delight. Honestly, it is one of my favorite words in the Bible. It's a powerful word. We hear God the Father Tell God the Son, I have delight in you. At his baptism, at the Mount of Transfiguration, in the last week of Jesus' life, he says, he will be glorified. I find glory in Jesus. I love this word. The word delight that we see in verse 4 means favor, well-pleased. And the implication literally but rarely used means to bend down. Who bended down? Jesus bent down and he washed the disciples' feet. But there's a hidden gem. There's a hidden gem in this text that's powerful. Go back to verse 2. It says that he will give you a new name. A new name. What's that name? Well, we read the Scottish Baptist guy. If you don't remember that. But the book of Revelation chapter 2 verse 17 uh, also tells us this. Let me just read it to you. It says, I will give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Let me read it to you again. I will give that person a white stone 
with a new name written on it, known only to that person. At that time, white stones in the Roman culture, in the Greek culture, white stones were given for two reasons. Their symbolism was this. Their symbolism was that if you were a victor in the games, you were given a white stone, not a medal, a white stone, and you were invited to a banquet for victors. That's what the white stone, you got a white stone. You're invited to the banquet. The banquet that you're invited to is the banquet of the Lamb of God. He's the host. But the other white stone, oh, this is really good. The other white stone was used in a court of law. The jurors were given black stones and white stones. The black stones would be used for the guilty, the ones who had broken the law. But the, but the white stones, the white stones, those are given for the ones who are not guilty, who now are free. Child of God, if you are born again, and your faith and trust in Christ is on him and him alone, what he's done in Jesus' name, a white stone is yours. You may be sitting here thinking, I don't deserve a white stone. Now you're listening. And that's the Spirit of God moving in your heart, saying, daughter of the King, child of the King, you belong to me. A new name? Not sure what it is. But I got a hint. There's going to be something about being beloved in there. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, what a glorious, bold new world it will be to see you face to face. See your hand. See your nail-pierced hand welcoming us home. A bold new name. A name that says, beloved child, beloved child. What a gift you have given to us. What a gift. Oh, Lord, help us live with our eyes wide open. This is such a tender time for so many people. Help us live on mission as we follow after you in Jesus' name.